You're listening to the TNT Effect, the Athletes Podcast. This is the podcast where athletes discuss their journey and sports professionals talk about how they support these athletes. I'm your host, Dr. Tierra Roll. Let's get into today's episode. Today, I get to sit with one of the assistant coaches of North Carolina Courage, Coach Sean Nahas or Nahas. And um, so, Coach, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Good, good. You have a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of coaching experience. Um, how long have you been coaching? Uh, I don't know. I'm getting old now. So uh, it's been over 20 years now. Um, yeah, I started I started coaching. I stopped playing my sophomore year of college when I transferred back home. Uh, I was in Queens University in Charlotte and then went back up to Hofstra and got my degree there and just caught the bug for coaching. And uh, that was I was 20 years old at the time. So, um, yeah, it's been great. I mean, it's given me a lot of opportunity and traveled the world and I couldn't ask for anything better. You were in your 20s when you started coaching and it's been 20 or so years since you've been coaching. How has your coaching style evolved over the years? Yeah, I get that question asked a lot. And I think it's when you're first starting as a young coach, you're, you're trying to prove yourself. I think a lot of people come in and whether you're male or female or young or old, you're, you're always, you, there's a stigma attached to it, right? So everything, I've been doing a lot of tweeting about it, to be honest, the last couple of days. It's so much is, is connected to winning. And so when you're starting out and you're trying to get yourself in the door and established, you only think about results. So you're doing things that's probably not best for player development. So as I've gotten, as I've gone through and I've had the opportunity to be around some really great coaches um, and quality players, I've sort of evolved as a coach in terms of realizing that winning is not the end all. Um, obviously the country, that's just how we're wired. Um, we're very result oriented. We always want to be the best, but that can't be at the sacrifice of a player's development. So I'd probably say over the last several years, that's something I've really triggered. I think being around Paul Riley has really changed that with me. Um, whereas even with the pro team, we, we don't talk about results. And if we don't do that with the pro team, why are we doing that with 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds? So um, I would say the, the attention to detail, the focus on the holistic player development, the focus on, you know, I would, I would be the first to tell you that on the sideline, I was when I first started, I was – I didn't enjoy it as much because I let the result piece affect me. Um, so on the sideline, I was a bit crazy, I guess you can say. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I definitely feel that I've calmed down and sort of taken more of a, I'm passionate about what I do. Um, that's never changed, but I've, I've been able to now evolve as a coach in terms of how I see the game and my best way to, to provide that for the player so that they play a style that I feel is attractive and, uh, hopefully that that continues to evolve. Practically, how would you give tips or notes to a, someone who is a coach, coaching younger players, even the older players? Yeah. What would you say to those coaches? And then also, what would you say to the parents who are like, my kid has to win, my kid has to play, they have to be the best? Yeah. Well, I think you have to, I think if if you're, to to touch on the first part, if you're a a young coach stepping in, I think you have to... Um, entrench yourself in as much experience as possible. If you are, um, 
if you have a team, one team, can you go watch other training sessions? Can you ask questions of other coaches? Can you put, immerse yourself in a different environment? Can you study the game on TV? Can you, you know, I was fortunate to spend two weeks on my own in Spain just to observe uh, different academies. And that to me was better than anything I've ever done um, because you're just seeing a different way of doing things. And obviously it's Spain. So um, I, I would say just get as much experience as possible. Fail. You know, don't, don't be afraid to fail. Don't, you know, if you have a way of playing, then go with it, believe in your philosophy, uh, um, believe in your style of play and don't let anyone decipher and, and, you know, start to wonder if someone's telling you, you have to win, is that the right place for you? If that's not what you truly feel is the best thing for your, for player development. Um, so really finding yourself, ask questions, you know, with social media now reaching out to different coaches and getting different impact uh, ideas from them and setting up zoom calls with them. I think there's, you can touch people across the world. Uh, I think this is a, a unique time, but I th- also think that the coaching circle has expanded tremendously because people like we're doing right now can just get on a zoom call and talk about ideas. Um, so I think if, if I'm a young coach, just I, my, my biggest thing I say is immerse yourself in different environments and study, study the game and don't be afraid to try things that even if you feel are uncomfortable, um, those are the moments that I think you evolve the most from a pl- from a parent standpoint it's tough, right? I always look, I always try to equate things to school now, right? I always, you know, when you first start school, you don't go from first grade to 12th grade. So, you know, you don't take the final, the first day of class. It's a process. It's a journey. So when you first start, you're creating that foundation. And and as the year goes on, the expectations of a coach is that your player or your, your kid is going to be educated throughout the year so that they're prepared for the final. Well, each week, each day, you should be preparing as you want your kid to be preparing so that they're better than the day before, but they're preparing not for the game that weekend, but to see small little details and change in the behaviors of a player. And maybe there's one thing that they have to improve on and those, that one thing they, they do. And now that makes them a better player, regardless of what they still may struggle with. So from a parent, I would always say, look at it from a school perspective. Uh, what do you expect your, your kid's teachers to take care of each day and if that's to educate and that's to teach so that the next day they're more prepared than they were the day before then you should look at the same thing as a from a coach or from a club um but unfortunately sports doesn't it's it's you know how it is it's give me a medal i need a trophy exactly uh, you know and i think it but from a you'll you'll re, you'll you'll be less stressed your kids will be less stressed and you'll find your your players being more attracted to the game because the pressures of winning aren't there the only pressures are on a coach is make sure that that kid is improving each day. That's true. And so as someone who's teaching players, you also have to learn more and grow. Yeah. And so you've taken the time to, to improve as a coach and get different certifications. And one of them being the, the USSF, is it B certification? Yeah. yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that and also the different types of certifications. Yeah. And I think I started late in the, in the license game. You know, when I first started, I started with the NSCAA, which was, which is now the United Soccer Coaches Association. And I just, over the last year to two years, I really dove into the USSF um, piece. And, you know, I wasn't, a lot of it had to do with my schedule, but a lot of it had to do, there's a hesitancy in doing it. Um, but having done it, it's been amazing. Um, you know, obviously you take away the experiences from the coaching aspect, but f- being able to be around different coaches, um, being able to hear different ideas, being able to see how different, different way of doing things, 
you know, when you first start out, you always think that your way is the way. And now having been involved around different coaches, I think it's more of um, how can I evolve? How, what, well, there's something else out there that I can be better at. And if that means I, ha- I get in an education piece and people talk bad about it or good about it, I have found it to be nothing but productive. Um, and it's definitely allowed me to see a different way of doing things. So to those that are hesitant on doing it, I would say it's another way to educate yourself. There's nothing wrong with hearing a different way. You may not agree, but there may be one little tidbit that you take that you now can say, I'm going to implement this in my thing, in my environment that maybe helps benefit my players. doesn't mean it to change completely. It just means you have to look at different nuances. So you also do a lot of scouting in player yeah. development. And so when you're scouting players or particularly youth players, um, what are some things that you're looking for in those players? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. I, you know, we don't do any, from a club's perspective, we don't do any recruiting, um, you know, from a youth club perspective, if players are interested in what we're doing, then they will bring them out for an evaluation. But um, from a, if I'm scouting from a, if I was scouting in the past from a national team perspective, I think it's always looking at what that particular mold of player that they're looking for at that level. You know, if, if you're scouting from a, uh, pro level, you know, if we're doing a game analysis scout, you're looking at the tendencies of players and the qualities of players that are unique to them so that we can prepare to how to defend or attack them. Um, but if you're looking at it from a recruiting perspective in terms of a national team or stuff like that, then I always think it's what are their qualities? What are their behaviors based on how certain teams want to play? Do they, do they possess those qualities or maybe they possess those qualities in their club perspective in a certain way, but in a national team, they may be better suited in a different way. That doesn't mean that, Oh, you look, she's a, she's a positional seven that maybe she's better off as a positional two at the international level. So it's just, it's taking the strengths and qualities of a player. Do they see the game? How do they read the game? How are they technically, how are they tactically? How do they respond to goods and bads? Um, You know, you're asking questions of the coaches of the, of the staff around how are they as a person? So there's so many different things. It's so unique. But the, the, the country is such a massive place that, you know, you always it's like a needle in the haystack. So um, but you always want to if you see a kid that has a quality, it, our job as coaches is to make sure we hopefully provide them with that opportunity. And you have to you have to as a coach have to have a good eye, because mm-hmm. when you're working with the national teams or the youth um, senior level and down the chain, it's such a short amount of time that you're working with those kids how are you able to like zone in and focus on different things that you need to capture in such a short amount of time? Yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's a process. So you, you have to educate, you're only, you're only watching them a couple of games every so often. So you have to educate yourself unless you have video or educate yourself through conversations with the coaching staff, educate yourself through the, the quality of the opponent that they're playing against. And what are they, you almost have to get to know them a little bit, the player, once you have them in. Um, but you're, you're looking for just the little things, you know, I think so often we look at the broad, but are they doing the little things correctly? Are they, their body shape or their recognition of time and space, their recognition of seeing the field in a bigger perspective rather than just in a 20 yard perspective, how are they off the ball? Because 99% of the game, they're not going to be on the ball. So how are they off the ball? What's their positioning like? Are they, so I always look at it from off the ball compared to on the ball because the on the ball is the obvious, right? So it's the off the ball of how do they, are they completely disengaged from the game or are they more engaged in the game and more connected and, 
want to get on the ball? Do they want to drive at people? You know, do they have this different swagger about them compared to a player that just goes about their business? So it's, it's those little things that it's, a lot of it has to do with attitude on the field. Yeah. Attitude. Yeah. That's a big thing. So coaching pro level athletes versus your younger players, what are some of those differences? <laughs> um, I, 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 I've always said this on some of the conversations I've had. I'm really fortunate to work with the players I have the opportunity to work with and the youth and on the pro side. But I would say that the, the level of coachability of our players from top to bottom is nothing like I've seen before. And I'm including the women in this because, I mean, they've been successful the last couple of years, if not beyond and internationally and, and just in within club perspective, but they, their drive, their, their attitudes, their humbleness, um, the way they approach the game, they, they don't want a day off. They want to be, they want to be pushed every day. They want to be challenged, but they want to be coached. Um, you know, we have world cup champions on our team. We have almost 11 internationals starting on any given day and they want to be coached just as much as my U14 player. And that's impressive to me, but it's who they are, their character. They're just unbelievable character people from a club perspective. You know, they're fortunate to have these kids, these older women to, who are great role models to, to look after and look, they've had the opportunity to go to every game home um, and see the success of this group. But we, we train them the same way that we train our women. I, I make sure that the standards are high. I make sure that the level doesn't drop. I want them to know that hard work pays off. I want them to know that it's okay to be frustrated. I want them to know that you have more to give than what you're currently giving. I want them to be uncomfortable. I want them to know that it will pay off, but I also want them to know that what we're pushing them because we know, and we have a belief that they're capable of. And that's no different than we do with the women. The women's attitude every single day is, I mean, the push and the grind. I look at them and I'm in amazement of just how hard they work. Um, and I'm, I start to see that that's just a standard that we've created. It's a culture that Paul's created within the women. Uh, the culture that he creates is remarkable um, and I'm fortunate, but it's something that I've definitely carried on. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with not talking about results. It's just about daily development. And when the players know that, they buy into it and they know that they can work hard every single day. And the one thing I always say to our players, especially our youth players is you can fail. You can make mistakes in training. So long as the effort is at a game speed, if you're failing, you're, are you making mistakes at an effort below game speed? I can't coach that. That's effort. That's just attitude. But if you have that, we can coach the, we can coach, coach the correctable things. I can't, co I can't coach effort. Um, and we're pretty fortunate with the, with the 109, 110 players that we have in our academy program that they bring that every single day. So what are some other characteristics that you would say would be coachable? You mentioned effort. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the other ones? Yeah, I think, I think there has to be an understanding from a player perspective that our job is to provide them with insight that they may think they know, but they don't. Right? When you're dealing with teenagers, you're always dealing with, a lot of nuances <laughs> you're dealing so with. Many. Yeah. You're dealing, especially now in today's world, they're dealing with so much that they've never had to deal with, let alone us as adults. Right. So um, I think, I think the biggest thing is when you talk about coachability, it's a willingness to take on information, 
that may make you uncomfortable, that may point out a mistake, that may, may make you feel like, why am I doing this? But knowing that there, there's a why behind it, like I'm doing video with my 17s today and there's gonna be moments in that video that they're gonna be like, oh my God, you know, but there's gonna be moments where they're gonna say, wow, look at the progress from week by week. So I think it's, it's okay with seeing that there's error, but there's also okay with seeing that how we're gonna correct it. The only way that correction happens is if they're coachable and willing to take on when they hear their name, not to go in a shell, but to know, all right, I may get a little bit here, but I know that it's for the benefit down there. And I think that's the piece. So they have to be open-minded. They have to have um, uh, an attitude of, of being willing to say, expand a little bit and not be in this little bubble of I'm perfect. Um, Cause that's impossible. That's impossible. Oh no. Yeah. That's not possible at all. So let's take it back to March, <laughs> March, uh, March was when you, would have started preseason in April. The season would have started, correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so walk us through all of that nonsense, all related to COVID. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were for the for the youth program. We were in the middle of our season. We were just getting our spring season started, and then we were getting ready to travel one weekend, and everything got shut down. We just knew, that, and then the federation shut everything down, and then you know, the rest is history. For the pro side we everyone was starting to come in and then everything sort of went dormant and then it became how's it league started shutting down so then it became what's the most how's this going to work and there wasn't enough information about the virus at the time yet so we were still uneasy about it you know so we were just sitting at home waiting to see what happened and waiting for the guidelines that the league was going to put out and then slowly as months went on and they started doing like small group trainings and they started doing testing. And then all of a sudden the Utah event kicked in, which the league did a fantastic job in, in creating. And I will remind everybody that we were the first league um, to do it properly. Cause that is people, true. <laughs> I think they keep saying the NBA, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny because the piggybacking our event in Utah was a lacrosse league that they came in after us, but the final, the coach that won it said that they were the first to win it. They came in after us. So I don't know how that works, but teach their own. Um, but the league did a tremendous job in that. And the, the players, you know, look, it, it's, it was a unique time and it was just a matter of how do we still allow these players to play in a safe environment. And the only way to do it was through the bubble. Um, the players handled it brilliantly. Was it easy? No. Was it a test? Of, I mean, we were away for a month, but you know, look, they had the, the league created a great opportunity for them. And now you know, we went, we were off for three weeks and now we're back to the fall series and training as we normally would. And obviously players had their, the option to opt out and do all that stuff. But um, yeah, look, we treat it like no other. It's just another opportunity for players to get time and develop. And that's how we're looking at it. It's, if anything, it's going to help us down the road because a lot of players that are getting time, maybe necessarily wouldn't be getting the time if there was a regular season. Um so it's been good. It's been good. The energy and training. I mean, we trained this morning and the attitude and you wouldn't even know that it's just a fall series. So it's, uh, it's been a test more of a mental strength than I think it has anything else because the ins and outs, the ons and offs. Um, but we're fortunate with the players we have. You mentioned ment mental strength. How do you all practice that on a regular basis? Uh, from a pro side, they, that's just who they are. Those are the characteristics of our players. I've, I've, 
I wouldn't even know how to describe it. It's ridiculous. Some of the things they just get over it. You know, they're so mentally aware of so many things. And um, that's what makes this group unique from a youth standpoint. We have worked with, um, you know, we have sports performance in our, in our, um, in our program. I make sure that over the last couple of years, I've made sure that I've tried to provide um, a holistic piece. So players get, sports performance, physical athletic lab type stuff. And then they get, um, uh, a sports performance from a mental side. Uh, I don't like to look at it as sports psychology because I think it's a unique word, especially when you're working with young female players, that word psychology can maybe trigger a different thought. So it's, it's more of a mindfulness and athletic mindfulness that we've worked with one of our, um, a former player. Um, and she came in twice a week prior to COVID and, has provided her services beyond uh, just our, uh, so she came in every other week with every age group and the players loved it. Staff was not involved. It was just her and them so that they felt a comfort. And I felt it was important that it was, that it was a female that we had do it. Um, And it just, and it wasn't just about sport. It was about just their daily lives, you know, connecting and letting them know that mistakes are okay. Letting them know that it's okay to be, fragile at times it's okay to be vulnerable at times it's okay to let your feelings out at times and speak your mind and i think for young females not a lot of clubs are doing that i wish if anything we would do still doing it now but because of budgets and stuff like that we've had to adjust some things but it's something that we look forward to to potentially incorporating um in the near future but players have loved it they've loved it outside of the the mental skills training and mindfulness how do you as a coach and all of the other coaches work with the rest of the team? Say you have an injured player, um, you're working with nutritionists. How do you all work together to do what's best for the athlete? Yeah, I think it's each athlete is, whether it's pro or youth, they have their own way of doing things. Some don't need it. Some just have their own way and they're set and they, they eat right and they do all this stuff. I mean, the, the women's team, they don't eat wrong. I mean, they are to the T and they're great. I think the the education piece comes on the youth side because they don't know the qualities and the benefits of doing all that stuff. So all we can do is educate. We can't tell them because we can't, we just can't. Um, but we have to be careful in what we say and how we say it. So oh, it's just a broad comment. It's just a, Hey, make sure you get your bodies right. Make sure you're hydrating. Make sure you're trying to eat as, cl- as clean as possible so that you're prepared and you get you fueling your body the right way to, to, to play at the highest level you want to play at. Um, so it's just reminding them of that. You know, when you start getting into the nutrition piece, it, you have to be careful because, you know, if you start telling players, providing players with certain things at the youth level, and now you're dealing with allergies, you're dealing with all these things that God forbid something happens, we become liable. So we've sort of strayed away from that and just given a broad thing right. of do this so that now they can do it in their own little way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to, to deal with because you have to remember when they're in school, they're not eating right. And they come straight to training. <laughs> I mean, some of these kids, they're not allowed to drink water in school because the schools don't allow water to be had so they have to drink you know so they're not getting the proper hydration so now we're coming they're coming straight from school to training they do all this stuff and we're expecting them to be at a high level but their bodies aren't prepared to be at a high level so the recovery process now and once the training is done they go home and now they got to do their homework and whereas a pro they go home they go to cryo they do they go to the massage they do all this stuff to prepare for the next day 
youth athletes don't have that opportunity. Now, a couple of years ago, we provided them with massages and we provided our youth players with cryo, but their schedules just didn't allow it. Um, so we've gone away from that too, but all we can do is educate and then whatever suits them, they do. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I, you know, I never thought about it that way as far as the little things that they can't do in school or those, that's something to consider and figure out how to navigate that and, and get around that. Um, Hmm. It's not easy. It's, <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not easy. And and again, like I said, pros will train at 10 in the morning. They're done by 11, 1130. They have the rest of the day to do and get prepared for the next day. They have 24 hours. Our players sometimes, from the time they're done with homework, it's midnight and they got to get up at six. So they get six hours of sleep. They're stressed out. They have tests. You know, So we always tell our kids, if you're stressing out with school, tell us. We'll give you the day off. And there'll be no repercussions for that. Like. Education comes first. I've, I've always said that, you know, if, if God forbid, knock on wood, someone gets hurt and the career's over, they still need their education. And we talk about that with recruiting as well. So I think it's, um, I think it's important that they, all we can be as, as coaches is provide them with the best feedback possible, but they don't have time to prepare. And then you have games on the weekend, which is back to back games. And it's like, yeah, games yeah, yeah. Four hours. yeah, that's crazy. Um, I mean, yes, of course, the schoolwork and all that stuff takes a lot of time. But, yeah, it's it's very hard to for the recovery piece, the nutrition yeah, and all hard. that stuff to get that in because yeah. their day is so packed with so many other right. things. And, um, yeah, it's hard to take care of themselves and and be at peak level, which I forgot about as a student, former student athlete yeah. myself. But that was yeah. so long ago. I'm like, how did yeah. I even do it? I, I used to get up super early. And get yeah. home late. And so I wonder now how in the world that I do it. But yeah, it's our resilient. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. They're resilient. But at some point, it, it adds up to a point where they just can't do it anymore. So the one thing I, I, I've really learned and to, to one of your questions earlier is making sure that I don't want to overwhelm them to the point where they feel like this is a job as a youth player because it's not a job for them. It's actually a stress release. So the last thing I want is to anything. Now, if I see this an issue, if there's a fitness level or whatever, but if there's a kid that's injury, we provide them with recovery plans. We do everything we possibly can for them. But um, yeah, we got, we we're always careful and mindful of just, and you know, as a coach, you have to know, you have to know your kids and you have to know if that kid is having a bad day and you have to go and you have to have an eye for that. If you don't have an eye for that, then you're, you're potentially going to run that kid away and, I, for the most part, if I see it just based on a kid walking up, I can tell if they're going to be in their mode today, if, they, if there's something going on. And then I'll sometimes pull them aside or sometimes I'll ask them after the fact, hey, look, is everything okay? And all of a sudden it, it opened, the door opens up, but you have to have an eye for it. Right. So what are some, some challenges that you've experienced as a coach over 20 plus years? <sighs> um. I think, I think the, the big thing is the game's always evolving, right? And it's important that we as coaches evolve too. It's important that we are not so stuck on our ways. And that's something I struggled with for a while. But I also think it's important from a coaching perspective that no matter how hard you are on the players and no matter how much you push them, that they still know that if they need you, you're there for them. 
Um, and I think that's the hardest, that's, that's a hard thing to do. I think it's a, it's a hard breakdown because it's easy to say something, but are you willing to act on it? Are you willing to, if a kid does reach out and says, Hey, look, you have a couple of minutes to chat that you're not replying back to them or getting back to the parents saying, yeah, it's okay for your, your son or daughter to reach out. You know, I think it's, you have to be, you have to be there for a player pro youth, whatever it may be. Um, but I, I, they're people first. Right. And I think so often as, as coaches and myself included, when I, and I'd say I still drop the ball on this sometimes is you look at them as athletes first, because that's the only time you see them is when they're an athlete. Um, but I think it's important that, you know, I think there's nothing better. I'll be honest. There, there's several players in our program that I've reached out to over the last several months, just checking in on them and randomly without any cause or whatever. And, you don't realize that what that message may mean to them on that particular day in that moment. Um, and that's, or that call, what that may mean to them. And I think that's the piece that they need, especially in today's world. So we, I, I would always say that that's the biggest thing. Forget the fact that they're athletes. Remember the fact that they are looking for guidance to grow as a person throughout their life. And soccer is just a byproduct of that. So what are some things you enjoy the most? Outside of soccer? Well, or just in general? Either one is fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, 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 unfortunately, well, I say unfortunate, but fortunately, unfortunately, this is what I do. This is, this is a, I'll say that the last 20 years have gone, 20 plus years have gone by really fast. Um, and like I said, the opportunity, I think the opportunity to work with the players I work with and fortunate to work with has been the biggest reward I've ever, aside from my family. But, um, you know, look, I, I, I'm on my own. I, I don't see my family a lot, um, which is not good. But I'd say I, that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's, it's a, when you're passionate about something sometimes and you look back on it, and obviously with COVID going on, it's been even harder to see your family, you know, and, and they live here, but I'm still cautious of anything, you know, because of, the bubble that I currently live in, which I pretty with the women, we pretty much live in a bubble still. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, outside of it, I mean, sometimes I, because I'm always on the go, I just like to do nothing. I just like to take a deep breath and um, you know, and, and you never get away from the game. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty simple guy. Like, I don't do much to be honest. It's probably not a good thing, but I think it's great. You're, busy and so yeah yeah you the opportunity to just relax that's all you want to do is do nothing yeah the off switch is on was is definitely useful but then the phone rings and it's back on again so but it's good it's it's look like i said i'm fortunate i i have zero complaints about my life right now nice so if any of your current or former athletes um were asked what type of impact you had on their lives what do you think they would say um, I think each group would be unique to themselves. <laughs> I think each group, um, I, I think the, the biggest, I, I'm still really close to some of the players. Um, obviously you don't connect with everyone, but, um, there's a group that I have is a 92 castle group way back, um, uh, 92 born and, and they're all starting to get married now and this. And that was the group I was probably hardest on, uh, out of any kids I coached because, I knew there was so much potential there, but what I hear from them now, and I got, a, I got a random text several months ago. 
um, where a player who I always butted heads with a little bit said, I appreciate you pushing me the way you did back then because I realize why you did it now. Um, and that to me was the biggest thing that I, I am not an easy guy to play for because my standards are high. Um, but my standards aren't high. Like they can't be high unless I think you're capable of being that standard. And when you're not matching that, I push and I push to a point to the brink. But when they, when they break that and they get through it, there's nothing better. They just don't know it yet. So to get that message, I would probably say players would say he's ruthless. He's, he's hard on us. He's overbearing sometimes, but realizing now why. Um, but also that I, I, if a player ever needed me, they were, they were, they knew that they can always reach out and I'd be there. Um, I think that's the, that's, those are the two things that I feel that no matter how hard I am on them after the fact, once you step outside those lines, they know that, that I'd be there for them regardless of what they need to a point. That is a sign of a great coach, great teacher. I I definitely felt that a time or two, uh, with some teachers, so I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Um, I have one question from a parent and she wants to know what is the best way for a kid who plays in a rural community to get noticed to play at a higher level? Yeah. I I mean, it's, I think it's going to be unique to that particular area. So, but the one thing I would say is, you know, sometimes you have to, you have to get yourself evaluated. You have to get yourself in a situation where if you feel that a certain level isn't suiting what your player's potential is, you have to go seek it. You have to go, it's okay to upset people sometimes if you feel what you're doing is best for your particular player's development. Um, so I would say if, if, there's a, if there's a situation where you feel that you're not getting what you want or you feel your player needs to continue, if you feel your player has a passion about what she, he or she is doing, then you got to go make sure you find it. If the player's just doing it because it's rec, recreational and it's just fun for him, then you may be okay. But there's a passion. You got to make sure that you you find the right area for that player before that passion and that light and that fire dwindles because it took too long to find it. So don't expect anyone to come find them or her. You have to go seek it sometimes and reach out to the club and say, hey, look, is there a way I can get evaluated? Is there a way that my, my son or daughter could be seen? I think she might have the potential um, or she, he might have the potential. And I just want to see what your guys' thoughts are. And if they come back and say, no, we're not interested. Or we will bring her in and we'll let you know. Whatever it is, you tried. But don't, I wouldn't wait because that would be t- 10 years from now and you've now you, your son or daughter's passion has, has been diminished. Do you think social media can be of assistance? It could. I mean, it's a big thing now. But the one thing I always say, you know, like our perfect example is our players with the way recruiting is going now. Our players, because of the dead period, they don't know how to get recruited. So recruiting now is all virtual. But one, they each had to make their own highlight video. But a lot of highlight videos is nothing but kids doing good things, right? So it's just a good highlight video, but you're not showing the reactions. You're not showing negatives. You're not showing responses. So I told my players, it's okay to be humble and put in their mistakes to show the reaction to those mistakes. Okay, we lost the ball. How did you defend it? You know, show the, as, if the, as if the coach sitting on his or her couch is watching a live game. I would say the same thing with, for any type of social media, put goods and bads. Don't that just cause you made a mistake. Doesn't mean the idea wasn't right. 
just the application may not be right, but there's still another piece of the puzzle. There's still a transition moment in there that you have to be able to see. But there is nothing better than being face-to-face and watching it yourself because all of those four phases kick in. If you just show goals, that's great. But no coach is going to say, oh, I like that kid. She scores goals. But at the end of the day, what did you do the other pieces of the puzzle? Um, yeah, I think social media can help to a point. But if you put a video together, I would always say put as much game involvement in um, than just a highlight reel. Basically, you want a full picture of hundred <laughs> percent of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so last thing before we close out, what would you say to younger athletes who aspire to play at the professional level? Well, also at the collegiate level as well. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I would say, I mean, chase it. Don't, you know, look, there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be good. You're going to have people telling you no. You're going to have people that say you're not good enough. You're going to have people, though, that's your motivation. That's not your deterrent. You know, I think anyone that says you can't do something, that's just motivation. That's not a, that should never be a deterrent for what you feel you're capable of, what you want to achieve. As long as that stuff's realistic. You know, I think um, you always realistic goals and we don't, I don't talk about goals. We don't talk about goals here. We don't talk about any of that stuff because if those goals are never achieved and people look at it as, oh, I failed. That's not the case, you know, setbacks or speed bumps to push forward. Um, and that to me, I think is something that we talk a lot about. And I, if you have a, if you have a dream to play collegiate soccer, then go chase it. If you have a dream to play pro soccer, go chase it, but just know that within that goal and that dream, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of ups and downs, but don't ever let someone tell you no, because that, if anything, that's just a, eat it. No problem. Great. Appreciate your feedback and go get them because there's a lot of players that are in the pro league right now that were told you're not good enough. Um, or you'll never make it or you're too small or you're too, that that has nothing to do with it. That just means if you, if it doesn't happen, that means you gave into it. Um, when realistically then they win and then they're right. Why not prove people wrong? Um, and then be able to go back and say, see, see what work does. And then you can pass that on. So yeah. Uh, uh, negatives are a, are not a deterrent at all. They are a motivation. So, okay. And this is, I thought of another question. Yeah, no, that's fine. So those programs, the smaller college programs where they're like your D three, your D twos in comparison to your D one um, coaches who are out scouting for the professional level, they're out scouting. Um, what are the chances that a player from like the D3 will get picked up? Well, I think it's unique to every situation, right? Look, there's, there's a, the, 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 the game of soccer across the world is, especially on the female side is evolving every day. And there's always a unique opportunity for someone out there. You just have to be realistic to what those levels are, whether you're, NAIA D3 that doesn't mean you can't play in the NWSL that doesn't mean you can't play abroad it just means you have to find the right fit which is and again the the the, the reciprocating party has to agree to you fitting into their mold I and mean, look there's you know I look at like a, a Bethany Balser who's uh, with the OL Reign in, in the NWSL she didn't go to a big school and she's had a great two years of her first career of her first part of her career 
Um, you know, you look at Lauren Millier, who is with the Courage, who played at Colorado State, I believe it was, or a smaller school, or Colorado College, one of the two. Um, she's been brilliant for us, you know, and she, it's, it's just, there, there's plenty of kids out there. It's not, the kids that are successful are not just the ones that went to the big schools that you would assume to be the big schools. They're a piece of the pie, but yeah, I, I think if, regardless of what division you're in, because some kids, they go to division three because that's what's best for them personally. Doesn't mean they're not a bad player. They don't want to go to a big 65,000 student school. They want to go to a smaller school and they didn't care about the athletic money. They just, they're, they're comfortable. Doesn't mean they're a bad soccer player. There's a lot of great D2 schools out there. There's a lot of great D3 schools out there. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say just you no, know, like no else, get your highlight videos together and get it out of you. Sometimes you got to market yourself a little bit, um, but never, never feel you can't. And you keep going until you say, you know, what, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so yeah, the, the one thing I would say to parents is again, I go back to equating it to school. If, you know, and it goes back to like tryout time, right? So player A doesn't make team A or team B or team C. So the parent, everyone's up in arms about it. But I, I always equate it to school in terms of, is your kid in honors classes? No. But is that, play, is that kid in honors classes? Yeah, she's a, she's a good student or he's a good student or vice versa. And the thing you, I always say is, well, why is that any different than sport? If, they're on, if their grades require them to be in honors classes, because that's what's going to push them educationally and help them grow more. Why do I need to force and put your player on team A uh, when developmentally they're not there yet? So what's the, there, there shouldn't be any difference. It's the same type of approach. And I think so often people get caught up in the stigma of first team, second team, A, B, when is that, you know, you can't be mad at your, your kid if they're not in honors classes. That just may not be what they are. Or maybe they're not applying themselves fully. So maybe they are that level, but they're not applying so the grades aren't matching it. Well, maybe the same thing on soccer. Maybe your, maybe your player is not uh, applying themselves enough to be able to reach that level, but that's up to them to decide. And I think that's the piece that gets lost so much. There's too much of a stigma um, when realistically is the area that your player, son or daughter is in uh, developmentally beneficial to their growth. If it is perfect. If it's not, then look somewhere else, but never feel that you have to be somewhere because you don't have to be anywhere as long as they're developing. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, because there's so many kids and even some parents who kind of turn their nose up at some of the smaller programs and maybe they think they're, you know, at this level. And as you said, maybe they're not, or maybe they're above the level that they're, they're at. And so, you know, have to be open to consider like, this is where you are realistically, you can set a goal to get to this point, but let's start where you are and work on achieving those smaller goals to eventually get to the bigger goal that you're shooting for. And that's the bigger piece. It's, it's not that it's a journey. It's not this, this evolution of that, like that, there you go. I'm in. You know, it's no different than coaching. It's no different than, you know, what you, you know, your profession, it's, it takes time. It takes work, but you always, I think you always have to ask your player, are you willing to put the work in to get where you want to be? Because if the answer is no, then we got to look at a different path. 
If you're doing it just for fun, then well, no problem. We can figure that out. But if you're saying you want to get here and your and your efforts and your attitude don't match that required level, then you can't say you deserve anything. Um, and I think people don't realize the, what goes into it. Um, people don't realize what goes into it from us as a coaching staff. They don't realize what, you know, your profession, the work you put in, you know, it's not just when you're on the clock, it's what you're doing outside of that. You know, it's the hours you spend beyond the helps so that when you're with these people uh, or players or whomever people are working with, that you're best prepared to help them. And that usually happens from experiences, but also usually happens from the time you put in beyond the hours people see you. Um, that's important. Yeah, and that's the biggest piece that because on the field is only like really a snapshot <laughs> of an athlete's career. It's what happens off the, the court, off the field, behind the scenes that is the culmination of what we see. 100%. 100%. I, that's, the, that's the piece. It's, it, what you do for an hour and a half a day, four times a week, is nothing compared to what you can do for two hours or you know, I always tell my players an additional half hour a day is over two hours of work that no one else is putting in. So why not? If you know you have a weakness, then go out and put it together. Um, if not, no problem. But if someone else is, they're going to get better. So don't say you want this if you're not willing to do that. Um, and that, but that's anything in life. You know, I think that's another thing you asked about young coaches. A lot of young coaches want, I want to coach the top team. I want to be the top coach in the age group, but are they willing to sacrifice and put the work in to do that? Um, and I'm not sure. Uh, want and willing are two different things. If you right. want something, will, what are you willing to do to get there? And if that means as a club that we feel that you need to coach in these levels right now and we'll evaluate, no problem when you take it, but no one should want and no one deserves anything. Um, I mean, I remember when I first got to, it was at the time, Castle, my first day I was told, okay, you're going to stay after training until 10 o'clock and you're going to dig fence holes. We're going to put a fence in. And I'm like, where, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> but that's what the club needed from me. And, you know, I started off as a premier level coach, which is a third team and a young age group. And what was I going to say? That's what the club needed from me. And if you do your job, you'll be recognized. That's the way I look at it. So everybody has to put in the work. <laughs> it doesn't matter who no. you are. Look, my, yeah. <laughs> making the ship move. No doubt. I mean, look, I, I, I would not, my journey wouldn't be as fun if I, if I didn't have to work. If I didn't have to put, if I wasn't challenged, I pull out the wind with the first team. He challenges me every single day. You know, I'm in charge of the opposition analysis and scout leading into the game. If I get that wrong, I'm in trouble. Because that's what we're, that's how we're going to train and to prepare for the opposition that we're going to play that weekend. If I get that wrong, so I got a lot of things on my plate thinking, all right, this better be right. And if this isn't, if this isn't right, my head's off. Um, right. So you put, you put that time in because we're at the service of the player. You know, coaches are at the service of the player. What do they need to be best prepared to be able to play that particular week, that particular training session? The moment that you're no longer part of the service to the player, you got to question what's going on. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned at the service to the player because you are in a servant job. Everybody are serving one another. Mm -hmm. And from an athlete side of things, 
I think it is important that an athlete, one, respects everyone who is a part of that team. Because sometimes you do have some athletes who have this, you know, nasty attitude or sure. whatever it may be. And then you have some younger athletes, too, who take to some of the athletes who may not have the greatest attitude. Or maybe they, they've earned some level of um, clout or fandom and all of that. And so some of these young athletes think that, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm the best. I'm the greatest. And it's yeah. like. But you have to respect everybody who's a part of the team. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a cog in the wheel. You just have to be accepting to what that role is. You know, if your role is to be on the scout team, then be the best scout team possible. You know, um, but that's, that's an individual characteristic and quality that players need. You need to know your role, um, but still prepare as though that your role may change on any given day. You know, the moment that you start to think, well, I'm only so I'm a sub again. Well, if you go with that attitude and how are you helping the player that's starting be prepared, you know? So yeah, that's, it's what you said is massive. It, it's, you have to understand and know your role, just like any business. There's a boss, there's a, there's this, there's a secretary, there's a whatever, there's always something, but everyone has a, everyone has the same approach. Everyone has the same, uh, goal in mind and that's to make the business the best it possibly can be but their role is a small piece of the pie right yep everybody has something to do to make it work together all that's the it. pieces fit together the way that they need to and be the best at it just take your role and be the best at it so that now you want something maybe you get promoted but don't say oh this is my job i'm coaching this team or i'm this today and i gotta do this phone call for this per do it to the best of your ability and that, cause that's, what's noticed. That's what's noticed. Not the other, not what you're actually doing, but how you do it. And that's important. Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's it. Well, thank it. you. Thank you all for tuning in and a special thank you to my guests. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button. And remember a healthy athlete is a whole athlete.